2: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I was ahead of you. Somebody must
0: have kicked the board. No, nobody kicked the board. You cheated. No, I didn't.
2: You cheated. I knew you were going to cheat. You You cheated. Guys, 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 please.
0: Bring it down, indoor voices. Now, did you move the piece?
2: Maybe I moved the piece... By an accident.
3: Live from Joe's Mom's Basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's Mom's Neighbor, Doug, and are you headed out to join the throngs on Black Friday? Good news, because it is keyboard and mouse, neither are we. Instead, come down to the card table and let's spend time playing some games. Here with five ideas to help you with games on fun money and economic topics, we welcome the man behind Stonemeyer Games, Jamie Stegmeyer. Jamie also will share five game ideas to play over the holidays so you don't waste your money. Plus, halfway through today's show, we'll chat with the creator of a game that dives into the magic of Ben Franklin's philosophies, a game called Franklin's Fortune. We welcome game designer Shane Newell. That's right, it's all board games today. And now, a guy who just sunk my battleship, it's Joe
0: Salcihai. Music Happy holiday weekend to all of you, if you're in the United States, or happy Friday, if you're not. It's still almost the weekend. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, here in the basement, all by myself this Friday, because this is a day when our whole team has the day off, except me, and I'm here for one reason, and that is because it's board game day, while most of the world goes out shopping Celebrating Black Friday the way we celebrate it in the basement is we have a bunch of board games that we play. So every year we made this a tradition. We used to have regular shows and figured out that on this day it's a great day to have a theme show. And I know that there's a lot of you that wait as much for this episode as I do. Amanda, we have a very special one for you today. Not only do we have a phenomenal guest, one of the luminaries of the board game industry. And believe it or not, for those of you that don't know this, there is a board game industry, but we also have a fantastic game designer. And my game group, the people I play games with, they love this game. I mean, we don't like this game. We really, really love this game. So we're going to talk to Shane Newell, who created a game called Franklin's Fortune, But before that and after that, Jamie Stegmeier is his name. He created one of my favorite board games called Viticulture. I have four games I call my favorite because I just can't choose between them. Viticulture is one of those where you own a winery. He also is the publisher because he owns a company called StoneMeyer Games that publishes some fantastic games. And we'll talk about a few of those. And we'll also talk about... Jamie, transitioning into the world of board games, uh, left a full-time job and went to board games and how he made that, that switch. For those of you looking to get off the, uh, you know, nine to five train working with somebody else. But we'll also talk to him about a few of his games and publishing some great games. And one of those phenomenal games, a game that won uh, some big awards. There's big awards every year in Germany for board games, which is kind of in the board gaming world. That's kind of the heart of board games. Uh, German board gaming culture is huge. And uh, a big winner, someone from here in the United States, I believe, created a game and Jamie publishes it called Wingspan. And if you haven't ever played Wingspan, you have a nature preserve and you're trying to get all these different birds. You're trying to attract birds to your nature preserve. And it's so fun, so entertaining as is Viticulture. So he's got a couple of great games that I love, but he's also going to talk about a lot of games. Two lists he's going to do for me. First list is going to be, a list of games that are kind of an introduction to money. You know, this will be a little bit longer intro, but I have to tell you, if you're trying to give your kids educational board games, I actually kind of think that's a mistake because most educational board games, to me, when I've played them, and I've played a lot of board games, feel like this topic's just being kind of shoved down your throat. I'm not big on that, but what I am big on Is games that kind of introduce you in a fun way to a topic so that when you see more about it later, you're introduced to it later in a more serious way. You're much more open to it. You're excited about it. You know some of the lingo. So as an example, one of my favorite games that we won't talk about today, but we've talked about on past years of this episode with other board game luminaries is a game called Power Grid. And power grid is just setting up a a utility grid and buying the resources. So there's a market for the resources and and you have to decide whether you want coal, which coal plants are very inexpensive to build, but the fuel is increasingly more expensive as time goes on. Or as an example, wind power, much more expensive to set up or solar power, but at the same time, you know, it's a renewable resource, so it's easier to maintain Uh, So which one's better? Do you have the cash, the incredible, huge amount of cash more to build some of these uh, more advanced technologies? And, and so this game doesn't teach you anything about power grids, but there is an economic engine. There's a flow to buying and selling. You're doing things based on what other people do or don't do. But because of that now, you know what, whenever there's an, an energy topic that comes up in the news, I'm much more interested because of power grid. I love the fact that games can teach. I don't like educational board games, Uh, just have not yet found one. And so the games that we're going to talk about today are games that, in a fun way, introduce you to some economic or money topics. I'm going to ask Jamie for five. And then, of course, uh, Shane Newell, Franklin's Fortune, uh, teaches you a little bit about, introduces you to Franklin's theories and Franklin's beliefs and his values. And goes through kind of also the life of, of Franklin a little bit. And it's, it is a fantastic game. You won't learn about Franklin, but you'll get a nice little introduction to him. And then Jamie will be back for a second half. And during that, you know, this is the time of year when you play games with family. And a lot of the time, this is when families will buy one board game a year. And you go to Target, and you look at the store shelf, and you make a decision based on one thing, and that is the cover art, right? The way that it looks. Oh, this looks like it would be good. It's so like it may be fun. And often, sadly, because we buy games that way, we waste our money. So what are five fun games for the family? And uh, Jamie is going to do that for us, too. And by the way, Jamie does this a lot. The reason I like having Jamie on is Jamie's YouTube channel with Stonemaier Games he is always talking about his favorite games in different areas, his favorite games that do this thing or that, that whatever it is, he's got those. So this is also right in his wheelhouse. So excited to talk to both of these gentlemen, sit back, relax, enjoy the day off talking board games with us. uh, But first, this episode sponsored by state farm, you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget. Well, look no further than state farm. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a state farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. We want to say a special shout out to Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools To empower their members and help them reach their goals, it's all branches of the military. Veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. All right, and now time for our annual board game episode and i'm so happy he's here mr jamie Stegmeier. and on his way down here to the basement my new friend actually a guy that i've known forever because one of his games is my favorite game mr jamie is here how are you
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me down to, to the basement today. I'm well, happy I'm st- to talk with you. And the basement's the perfect place for board game night, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Absolutely.
0: It is. Yeah. Yes. And this this table's seen some board games, my friend. Uh, <laughs> we haven't flipped a table yet, but we're not that kind of board game people. And, and I get the feeling watching your YouTube videos, and by the way, we'll link to everything we talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of links. We're going to link to everything we talk about with Jamie on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. But just based on your awesome YouTube videos, Jamie, that I've seen, you're not that type of player either. I mean, it sounds like you guys have a lot of fun. You kind of play, play hard, but then laugh about it.
1: Yeah, I like to, I mean, I host a weekly game night and I go to other people's game nights. And I, when I play a game, I want to make sure that everyone's having a good time, including myself, but especially the other people at the table.
0: I often find that when people are brand new to board games, they're all super competitive. And then they realize that Ooh. as a group of people, I can't speak for all board gamers, but I feel like most board gamers I play with were like, oh, okay, that, that was four minutes ago. I didn't even remember who won.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's, it's cardboard, it's wood, it's plastic. You can have fun with it and then put it away and, and for, forget those. There's things that happen during the game. Yeah, You've made this
0: transition from where I sit, a guy that also has board game night with my friends about once a week, to being in the industry. What propelled you from being a board game fan to creating and being behind some awesome games like Viticulture, Scythe, and really the big one, which I also want to talk about, Wingspan.
1: Well, my, my company, stillmeyer Games, didn't exist 10 years ago, but uh, Kickstarter became a thing around, I think, 2009, I think was when it started to take off a little bit. And I started to see, 2009, to 2010, I started to see board game projects on Kickstarter. And I was fascinated by Kickstarter, and I was also a hobby gamer at that point. I had designed some games just for fun. And I thought, you know, this is seems like a really, really neat platform to try to launch and create a, a passion project, in this case, a game. And so for the first couple of years of the company, we started with one game and then we launched a few more, got up to a really big one with Scythe. And then after that, I decided I love this platform. I want to take all the things I've learned from it. And I just want to run a company now. And. So I've I've kind of focused on not using Kickstarter, but still trying to bring games and bring joy to tabletops worldwide without that platform.
0: This is something I didn't think that I'd ask you about, but a lot of people are looking for this change in their life, right? That They want the financial security to be able to move from a full-time job that they maybe don't love into something that they're much more passionate about. Were you working someplace else and then had to make that decision that you were going to kind of jump off into board game land?
1: I I, was, I had a good, secure, full-time job that I was pretty happy with at the time. And so I started the company. I designed the game. I ran this original Kickstarter while I still had this other full-time job. And then over the many months with that game and then our next game, Euphoria, essentially I, I ended up having two full-time jobs, which was not the intention there. And so I asked my boss at the other job if I could go part-time. And so I worked part-time at that job. I kind of kept that security for oh, a little that's while nice. longer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I, eventually around six months later, I ended up going full-time for my company. That was in 2013. And I, I left that job behind.
0: I love that idea of, you know, you're bootstrapping it, but keeping some uh, security while you're doing it. But I can't imagine that period of time when it's a full-time job with Stonemaier and it's a full-time job at the full-time job. That's got to be hectic. And I, and I think, I, I mean, I think you have a family also.
1: At the time, I, I have a girlfriend now, but I that was that was my focus. I was really, really just focused on that one job and then the other job at the same time,
0: <laughs> and I also think, and this is a little bit personal, so tell me how far you want to go with this, but the yeah. health insurance, everybody worries about you know, yeah. you go on your own, Jamie, at your age, health insurance. How did you navigate that?
1: Yeah, I'm forty now. so this was I was around thirty three. I bought a a solo health insurance plan. I can't remember what the laws were back then, but uh, yeah, that was definitely a major concern. And so, I kind of at that point, when I decided to make the the transition to working full time, I had saved up enough money that if things went terribly wrong after a year, um, I had enough money to last a year. Basically, if things went terribly wrong, I said to myself, "I'll, "I'll give this a try for a year, and after a year, I will do something else. I'll find a you know a real job again if I need to." But it worked out that year worked out and the next year was a little bit better and so on. So I had a little bit of a cushion there yes. in preparation for that step.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think it's a good, uh, and I know you didn't mean it as advice for other people, but that is great advice for people. Make sure you got that cushion so you're able to do that. Yeah, I want to talk just a little bit more about the company before we dive into my favorite part and your favorite part, probably talking just about games. But later on the company, early on, you're designing games and the mm-hmm. games are selling well. You can feel the love, by the way. I'm going to brag about you a little bit, Jamie, is a fan of your games. Your games, you can really feel the love of the games because... They're definitely not the cheapest games out there. They are made with a bunch of love, which means they're going to be a little more expensive. But because of that, the games, the games look beautiful. The rules play beautiful and um, man, it just feels like there's a different game for anybody. But I don't want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about the second part of your company. When now you are a publisher and you're working with other designers, tell yeah. me about meeting this woman who has this idea for a game about birds that now has taken the world by, and by the way, and a lot of people still out there do not know about this game, but this game has taken the world by storm, a game called wingspan. Tell me how that relationship began and how that kind of flourished.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I'll flash forward a little bit and I'll give people a little bit of context for how big the game is. Cause this is, it's unusual in the hobby game market for a $60 game to sell over a million copies. Yeah. And just over two years now which is incredible. It, it's amazing that that it's done the, those types of numbers. But it started back at a convention uh, called Gen Con that I, I'm guessing you're familiar with yes. and that some of your listeners might have heard. It's a big gaming convention in, in Indianapolis. And Elizabeth reached out to me before the convention and said, you know, I, I'm working on this game. I'd like to, to show it to you to see if you'd be interested in publishing it. At the time, it was called Bring in the Birds. And so I spent basically just a half hour with Elizabeth just playing through the game and talking to her about it, uh, kind of testing her a little bit with how she could take constructive feedback, which I, I do for all the designers who submit games to us. Why do you do and, that, by the way? Yeah. Well, it's a, when when someone designs a game, it it's really just the first step of a process. When they design a game and submit it to us, uh, it's the first step of us really turning what they've started to make into something that is really, really great, hopefully. And so... I need to make sure that I uh, that the designers are people that are willing to work with me and willing to say yes to some of my feedback and say no to some of my feedback. I want both of it. I don't want them to just say yes to everything because they're gonna be right sometimes and I'm probably gonna be right sometimes. So you're previewing the partnership. I'm previewing yeah, that's a good, good yeah. way of putting it. Exactly. Okay. And we're also previewing the game. And so in this case, I was amazed by how well Elizabeth married the theme of each individual bird that she had selected with the mechanisms that she applied to those bird cards which is not an easy thing to do to design a hundred different cards that each feel unique and thematic. I was just enamored from day one. Even the game changed a lot after that, from the way that I, she ended up fully designing it the way i helped develop it. But from, from day one, I was like, this is, this is something special. I, I, I want to be a part of this.
0: She seems like just the interviews I've seen with her, Elizabeth just seems like somebody that would be a great partner to work with.
1: She's incredible. Yeah. She's, I, I really don't have many expectations from designers, from a kind of a marketing standpoint, that's my job. But Elizabeth is an amazing advocate for many things, including Wingspan. So it's been, it's been great to see her do all these interviews and chats with people, which that's not her job, but she does a wonderful job with them.
0: We played for everybody listening. We played Wingspan with many friends of ours that don't play a lot of board games. And because the theme is so different than what they expect. And it Mm -hmm. really, even though, as we explain the game, it seems like it might be a little bit of a rough go for somebody. It ends up being fairly intuitive and really fun and to your point, like if you've got geese, it feels like I've got geese on the board versus these little yeah. birds that kind of flit around everywhere. It feels like I've uh-huh. got these different types of birds with these characteristics. I can't tell you yeah. the number of times people have left and texted me later going, what's the name of that game? Cause I want to buy it. <laughs> so it's, it's so That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we talked about you. We talked about the company a little bit. Let's talk about mm-hmm. board games. You were nice enough to make us two lists of games. The first list is a list of games that maybe don't teach people about money, but they're an introduction into economic engines, into money topics, just starts the conversation going where it makes people a little bit more excited about this financial stuff going on. Uh, How much do you like those economic games and economic
1: engine games? I I enjoy quite a few of them. I would say they're up there in my, maybe my top five, top six genres of games, mostly because I like- Top five out of five?
0: (laughs) <laughs> Top five out of five. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I like the the low stakes nature of board games in general, but I like when you get to have this create this element of creative problem solving involving something that's very tangible, money, which we deal with every day in real life. But in board games where there's no real stakes there, you know, you yeah. walk away after an hour and you haven't actually lost a million dollars. Yeah. But in the game, you can put that at risk. Yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. All
0: right. Let's dive into them. What do you are we gonna do these David Letterman style? Maybe five, four, three, two, one? Sure.
1: Sure. All right. Yeah. Your number five games about uh, money. I indulge myself a little bit for each of these lists. The number five, I put a Stomeyer game on the list. So I put Viticulture at number five. This is a, a game, a Stillmeyer game. This is the first game that I designed and it's about running a vineyard. And there's a very strong sense of order of operations to it. And it's tied to the money that you're earning throughout the game where you, if you want to grow a certain type of grape, you need to have a certain type of uh, trellis so that you can grow that grape and then you need to harvest the grapes from that vine, turn those grapes into wine, and then find the right wine order to sell that wine. It's a very economic game. I wouldn't say it, it's particularly money-driven as the other games on my list are, but it does have those the strong economic sense to it.
0: Very much. And uh... – I have three games that I call my favorite game and Viticulture is one of my three favorite games. Uh, I would rather uh-huh. play Viticulture than anything else but a game called Acquire which could have probably mm-hmm. been on your list I would imagine yeah. and then a third game called Big City I really like. But Big City, uh, yeah, yeah Big. those those three depending on the number of pl- Big City with three players but anyway uh-huh. uh, Viticulture th- that's an amazing one and, and it, you know what I love about it Jamie just one more little thing I love the feeling yeah. like I feel like I'm running this operation so we talked about you yeah. and Board Game you really, truly feel like I'm running this fledgling, trying to get off the ground operation.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really wanted to aim for that, that that you have your own little vineyard that's yours, that you can cultivate it however you want and, and see it grow over the course of the game. Number four on your list. Number four is the biggest box game I have here today, and that is Glenmore Chronicles. This is a big game, and it has a very specific economic engine that I've seen in a few different games. But I wanted to mention it because it's a really neat uh, little thing in the game where if you have certain resources, if you have whiskey in the game and you need some money, the whiskey that you add to the market the timing of when you add that whiskey to the market determines how much money you get based on if other players have or have not sold whiskey to the market and vice versa too. If you need some whiskey, you can pay for it, but the cost depends on whether or not kind of supply and demand. If other players have recently sold or bought whiskey from that market, I love little market mechanisms like that in board games.
0: This is a game by the way, and I'm 99% sure that I played this game. This was just reprinted, right?
1: It was. It was. Yes.
0: So I have played this game. Uh, you're right. Deciding when to buy and sell, almost like this mm-hmm. real estate market we're in right, right, right. now, where yeah. where you're getting these eye-popping numbers. People are asking us all the time, do I sell my stuff now or do I wait? You have the right. same delicious decision in this game.
1: Yeah. There are a few games like that on my list that are kind of these closed economies. And that's, I really like that in Glenmore too.
0: That's fantastic. Number three on your list.
1: Number three is the smallest, lightest and shortest game on the list. And that is for sale. you play is I'm sure you're familiar with for sale. This is a
0: super light game. And it's really nice for people that have never played board games. I think it's a nice introduction, Jamie.
1: It is. It is. Yeah, it really, it's very easy to teach and play. And you mentioned real estate a second ago. This is a game about acquiring properties in the first half of the game, the first 10 minutes. And then the second half, you're trying to sell those properties of the highest value. And it's an auction game. It's a unique auction where you're basically bidding to try to stay in the auction as long as possible and uh, on some cards, some properties that are that are on the display. And it's just a, it's a really, really tight game. The money is tight. You're trying to get the right cards at the right time you played it. What do you, what do you love about for sale?
0: You know, I love the fact that it is quick number one mm-hmm. uh, and that it feels very light. I, I actually love the artwork and I think there's yeah. a sense of humor to it. I believe that isn't there like an outhouse or a tent like on the, on the bottom side and it goes up to these huge mansions and big buildings.
1: It does. Yeah. Yeah. The properties are from one to 30. The, the one I think is a cardboard box or maybe even a sewer drain <laughs> right. and, and number 30 is like a palace in the, in, in the sky. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. fun. And then, man, when you turn it on its head halfway through the game, and then you're trying to yeah. unload all those properties. I don't know. You're I like the fact that your brain kind of switches halfway through. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Me too. Good stuff. Me too. Number two. Number two. I have another game similar to Glenn Moore that's set in Scotland, and that is Isle of Sky. I have never played this game. Tell us about I've it. Never and it's hard it's a tile placement game, but the thing I love about it in terms of the, uh, the economy of it, the money side of it, is that it is an I-price-you-choose game. So every turn in the game, each player is secretly going to have three tiles in front of them, and they're going to secretly price each of those tiles. So I might say, okay, I think this tile is worth $1. This tile is worth $3. And then you'll reveal those prices, and the other players have the opportunity of buying those tiles from you at that price that you set for those tiles. And for any tiles they don't buy, you have to pay those tiles at the price that you set. So you don't really want to price anything too high because you might be stuck paying that cost at the end of the round. But if you you don't if you price it too low, then you're giving players these tiles for really cheap. I love I price you choose, and uh, Isle of Sky does it really really well.
0: I can imagine some of my friends with a game like that that there might be a little bit of angst, and I can imagine myself having a little bit of paralysis. Not we have this thing in board Good. gaming called analysis paralysis. Not too bad,
1: but I could still think I'm like. Ugh. I don't know if I want to do that. It happens a little bit in this game. I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that in a few games, especially the first time you play, you're like, I really don't know how much this tile is worth, but as the game continues, you get a rough idea of that.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. And it's a beautiful game too. I love the art on all these games, the attention to art. How do you guys, I've, I've never had a board game designer on, We've had a lot of board Uh game luminaries on but never a board game designer how do you pair a game with an artist that fits because i feel like half of the fun of all these games that you've mentioned jamie are that the right artist kind of gives you the mood
1: it's an interesting puzzle i don't have a magical answer to it it's just kind of a guess almost a guess every time i have a good feel of what artists are in the industry what artists are i look for for certain types of art at times and it just kind of I, i have a rough vision for it and i hope that we get it right Yeah. I I wish there was a a science to it, but there isn't.
0: But I really feel like, like you talked about uh, for sale and the fact that that's kind of goofy, light art is fantastic. Where viticulture feels like this authentic Italian family and we're in Tuscany, you know, it's this whole different, different art scheme. All right, here we go. I don't know. I I don't have a drum roll. I wish I had a drum roll. Jamie's number one game uh, to introduce you to money topics would be.
1: That would be QE. Have you played QE?
0: I have never played this game. It seems so interesting. And I believe, and this is horrible to admit, because I've kickstarted quite a few things. I think it's coming. I think it might okay, be in a packet that's, that's coming. Yeah. Yes. In the yeah. next few weeks, by the way.
1: Oh, awesome. Well, I hope. I, I look forward to hearing what you think about it because it is a really, really unique game in that it's an auction game, but you can bid any amount of money on the things that you're, you're trying to buy in this game. Like literally the, the game has dry erase markers and, and little whiteboards and you are writing any number that you want on those whiteboards. What types, of things, what types yeah. of
0: things are we trying to buy? By the way,
1: you're trying to buy uh it says it's 2008 and the economy is crashing. You play as one of the largest nations in the world. And it's your job to save the economy by printing money to bail the companies. <laughs> so you're buying different companies. Uh,
0: right. Yeah. All right. And I love the fact that we're printing money.
1: And our severe, right, yeah. our,
0: our severe money geeks got a good laugh out of that too.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're printing money. You're writing down any number you want. And the catch in the game is that at the end of the game, even if you've acquired all these points from these companies that you've acquired, if you have spent more money than the other players than any other player, you can't win. You are not allowed to win the game. And so you could write down a billion dollars on your very first auction and someone else maybe bids $5. And so they've only uh, attempted to spend $5. You spent a billion and it actually completely changes the economy of the game from then on. Like you may not have lost the game then because you've kind of, you've shifted the economy of the game. The next player who bid might say, okay, well I I can safely bid 500 million now because I'm not going to have spent the most this game. It's just really, really interesting to give that flexibility to players of bidding any amount.
0: Well, and I'm just imagining then, and I'm imagining this is probably why it was number one on your list. You're not just playing the game. You're playing the other players. Like you're really playing the other players
1: absolutely yeah throughout every moment of the game you're playing the other players
0: i can't wait that sounds fantastic yeah we're gonna pause our interview with jamie right there because we've got uh doug hanging out here doug i everybody i said everybody had the day off everybody apparently but me and doug and so uh doug is back you're looking good man all right let's uh let's do some board game theme trivia how about that
3: stackers i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and all this board game talks got me wondering you probably know that parker brothers most popular game back in the day was monopoly but another old game brand milton bradley also had their own big game what was the first game and probably most popular game designed by milton bradley i'll be right back with the answer right after i play this plus four wild on
0: joe's mom she's never gonna see this coming
3: Hey there, Stackers! I'm noted Monopoly champion and Catan wood for sheep lover, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug. Today it's all about board games here on the show, so we're diving into some board game trivia. This was your question. Parker Brothers is best known for their early hit, Monopoly, but what was the first and most popular game created by their longtime rival, Milton Bradley? In 1860, Milton Bradley released a game with a spinner rather than dice because dice were considered too closely related to gambling. In the game, people experienced events from the cradle to the grave, deciding whether to buy insurances, go to college, or start a family. Gee, that sounds fun. Originally, it was called the Checker Game of Life, which was shortened to LIFE. Did you get it right? Go ahead, three spaces. Get it wrong? Looks like you're stuck in trivia detention. Lose a turn! Either way, I have good news. It's time to hear about a game focusing on ideas near to our hearts here, because it's all about Ben Franklin. Here with details on his game, Franklin's Fortune, here comes Shane
0: Newell. And here he comes, down the stairs to the basement. My new friend Shane Newell, who, by the way, is a guy I should have known a lot earlier than I actually met him because Shane has this game that we're going to talk about. That's phenomenal. How are you, man?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show,
0: Joe. Well, I'm so happy you could be here with us. And when our mutual friend uh, Rob said, Hey, my friend, my friend Shane's got this game. I thought, Oh, great. Another game that is a quote educational game, which I hate educational games. I want to just have some fun. I said, yeah, okay. But then he said, he said, no, 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 it's a Ben Franklin game. I'm like, okay, now you got me interested. (laughs) And then I asked you if, Hey, if we could play a copy and maybe we do the show, I, I then got the copy of the game from you. And oh my God, we played it at board game night. My wife and I played it. We've had so much damn fun with this game. And the good news is I do learn something, but I don't feel like it's been shoved down my throat. So, which brings me, I'm going to quit doing accolades and I'm actually going to ask you a question, Shane, which is you've been playing board games for a long time. Cause this is built like a game, like a master game designer builds, builds a game.
2: Well, the first advice I got was from someone who has developed a lot of games, and they said you have to play a lot of games to develop a game. So I took on that uh, approach and started playing lots of board games with my adult young children. And we had a great time doing it, of course. I think board game night is one of the, you know, everyone's favorite night. Uh, and then around the holidays, we started playing. And the more and more I played, the more and more I thought about, wouldn't it be great to find a way for really good, valuable things to come out of this gameplay? that we would be able to apply it to real life and that they would drive home that night and think, gee, I wonder if I tried different ways in approaching something that I'd get those kind of results. So it turned into a mission and it was a lot of fun doing it. Were there some favorite
0: games you played along the way that kind of influenced this game?
2: Yes, certainly. Uh, I think the, the staple for many people is Settlers of Catan. Yeah. We enjoyed playing that immensely. And then the different variations that come about it, we played uh, a little bit of Dominion. We played Ascension. Now, today's, we, we, we love playing the uh, code names. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That is yeah, a dope. fun holiday game. It is. Yeah. So uh, there's always new ones being introduced. I'm slightly reluctant when they first get, uh, like, Scythe was a game. I said, Oh, that's too complicated. I don't want to do that one. Once I started playing, I really got hooked to it. Like any kind of game, you start off, it sounds very complex in the beginning.
0: That game, by the way, that you brought up Scythe, and we lost 90% of our audience because they don't know what Scythe is. But I'll tell everybody Scythe (laughs) is a complicated game. However, my game night guys, I like Scythe. I think it's a fine game. I can't get them to stop playing it. It's the the, every game night they're like, let's play Scythe again. I'm like, oh, God, no. And it's not that I hate (laughs) Scythe, it's that there's other games to play. But that game, that game's got a lot going on.
2: Yes, it does. But once you start, as you know, you start to play board games, you start to learn mechanics and you're able to transfer those skills from game to game. So your ability to learn games uh, is is much shorter, I find, as the more games you play. And certainly deck builders are like that.
0: So tell me about your relationship with Ben Franklin, because there's a lot of love about Ben Franklin's philosophy built into Franklin's fortune. How did you first uh, decide that this was going to be the theme of the game and the idea for the game?
2: Well, I started the journal when I was very young, uh, and one of the first things I remember reading in that journal when I when I found it again was that I wanted to to model Benjamin Franklin and the, the approach of being you know healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because we all know we can achieve in one particular area fairly easy. The challenge is, can you do it in multiple areas? Can you really be a really good person? Can you feel good about your virtues and your strengths, and then still be able to take care of your health? And then, of course, can you earn the kind of income that you'd like to earn? So that approach to me, and you know, Franklin did did them all. Even though he, some people might think he's rather robust, he lived into his 80s, and at that time period, that was a man who was quite healthy. That's a so lot I always of fun, enjo- enjoyed his writings. I thought that the way he inserted wit and fun and humor into his work was just an approach that made learning a lot of fun.
0: You start off the game. Players start off the game with just a few cards. Just to give people an idea of how this game plays, you start off with just a few cards and most of your hand is just this energy that you have, this ability that right now at the beginning, you're a young person, but like a young Ben Franklin and you're a tradesman. So you've got this ability to go work as a tradesman, but you've no education, you've no experience and you're going to build those up. How did you begin as a tradesman? Just kind of following Franklin's career?
2: Yes, exactly. He was a printer, worked in his, his brother's print shop in Boston before he moved to Philadelphia and started his own print shop. Again, I love that approach that he had. And as we all know, when you work in the beginning, it's a, often an exchange of your time for money. It's, it's laboring for fee. And, uh, over time we learn how to better make money and my different occupations, uh, which was a big you know, part of the game for me was to show those different models of making income. So you have work for labor, work for profit. And then the final step, if you can reach that, is to have money to work for you. As you know, when that happens, compounding interest, one of Franklin's favorite uh, philosophies, plays into the game. But when to do those is all up to you to decide what is most important to start.
0: Well, and I like that there's three different, there's multiple streams of income. And we talk here on the show all the time about having multiple streams of income. So you, you actually can invest some of this energy that you have, I guess, in the form of cards, you invest these cards into becoming either an investor or um, what's the other one? It's the proprietor uh, Yeah, or a proprietor or the tradesman and you can get educated as well you can spend money or spend resources on getting yourself educated and education also brings more money but what's interesting that i thought shane education's not free you actually have to you have to pay some money to get
2: educated yes yeah, so and that's why i had to develop two forms of knowledge one was experience and one was education you know that education can be attached to any one of the occupations, but it isn't transferable, unlike experience, because we know that certain skills through experiencing, learning things, uh, they are truly transferable. And when you receive that card in your hand, your draw, and you can apply it to any occupation you want or multiple o- occupations, that to me is uh, the way experience and, and education work. And yeah, it takes some, some extra energy uh, and some cost typically to get those formal educations, not necessarily in a classroom, but- Different sources, even things like the show or attending seminars or reading great books or doing a conventional uh, classroom setting. Well,
0: that's why I thought another interesting piece was experience, right? Because we've also talked about how some people go to college without an ROI in mind and they end up spending a lot of money. Of course, we have the student loan crisis now, but there's another pathway and that's to get experience and experience also pays you more money. So you could have, it's funny because I think you can only have, and this was a great rule, four years of education added to whatever your, whatever your profession was, which I found a brilliant rule. And when I explained this to my game night group, uh, they all laugh because it's easy to remember four years, right? Yes. I mean, not that to, it took me seven, but that's a whole different, that's a whole, <laughs> whole, whole, whole different story, but yes. four years was an easy rule. But, but I think experience, you can have as much experience as you want, right?
2: Yes. And that can come in quite handy because, uh, you know, the education it, has a value but it only has value when you put the energy into that job and we also know that educating yourself about the different types of incomes that you want if you want investment income you've got to be a little educated about that and and spending some time studying investments and learning about the business that you want to invest in the type of stocks or whatever uh, type of returns that you want takes a different type of effort than it might in your career so it is applicable to any one of those jobs so you got to make that choice the way that the game plays, uh,
0: you have this deck of 10 cards that you start with. There's a bunch of community cards in the middle and you your every hand, you're going to be buying these cards from the middle to add to your deck, which adds to your experience and your ability to do different things. So you'll start off with 10 cards, you shuffle the 10 cards, and then you take five and then you spend whatever's in your hand. So you're trying to develop better hands to be able to to be able to do more things with each hand sometimes your hand ends up crap i've had some hands (laughs) this some days some days just don't work out like other days which also by the way i found was was a neat kind of play on words that you had Shane. which is you put your deck on the right side of you and that's called what sunrise i think
2: sunrise yes
0: and then you discard to sunset which is on the left of you and when you pick up your five cards i think it's a ben franklin phrase that says your day is now at hand
2: yes You work with whatever that five draw is to acquire what you can and decide what it is that you want to pursue. There's not a lot of uh, extraordinary luck involved here. I didn't want to have things occur to you that weren't made based on your decision. So, you know, one of the very first things I had to think about with this game is whether it would be competitive or cooperative. And that became a very early challenge because I wanted to make the game really about self-reliance. Can you make these decisions on your own, have those consequences without having you suddenly land on a hotel and owe $2,000 for Boardwalk and go, I never wanted to stay there. Right. right. <laughs> it was a
0: random die
2: roll to get there. Yes, yeah, right. And other games I've had, uh, you know, I think there's a cash flow game that comes out and it says, you just bought a boat for 300000 add this to your, you know, your expenses. It's like, that's a decision I would never make. <laughs> Everything in this game is about those decisions and how over time they play out. And if you ignore a particular area, you suddenly realize the consequences of not, building enough energy and building taking care of your health so you have the strength because as you know all the wisdom and all the wealth in the world isn't going to be very helpful to you if you don't have the energy or the health to move My friend, uh, John,
0: beat us with a clever combination of both experience and education. He used both of those and uh, spent a lot of time developing as an investor and developing as a proprietor. And he ended up with these multiple streams of income that every every turn he was getting like, I don't remember if it was $10. He's getting this monster amount of money every turn and just smoked my buddy Troy and I. But the uh, expenses also play a role in this game, because if you don't have good, speaking of cash flow, if you don't have good cash flow, that can sink you. Tell me about the role of expenses in the game.
2: Yes, well, it certainly had to be a part of the game. And and how to put it in there was a little bit of a challenge, but felt that there had to be a recognition of it. There is a randomness to it or well, how often it comes about. But there's only one card of that that you have to keep paying over and over and over. And if you don't, as you know, the, the game actually incorporates the concept of debt, that if you can't meet your expenses, then you have less options in life, which means you draw less cards. And that's the consequence of that. But as you know, and I think maybe we will talk about it is the unique application of luxuries because <laughs> that's exactly where I wanted to go next. Yeah, that was uh I, I kept on struggling with that. How can I incorporate the idea in a game that you would have luxuries because we're all gonna opt out of them? Why why have anything that's going to to cost you more money? But the idea of luxuries for us, I think we we want to look at them as though that they motivate us, that they find a way to, you know, drive us further to do things. And to me that would be increasing your energy, your ability to draw additional cards. And that's the only way you can draw additional cards in this game by by a selection of another card that you would buy and have. So buying luxuries too early is a catastrophe. I don't know if you tried it to get those additional cards, but it's a mess. Buying them at the right time is a brilliant strategy to allow you to have a larger life, more energy. You're you know, enthusiastic about what you're doing, how things are turning out, and you can afford them. But early on in the game, it's Not the case. I'll tell you, I got, I won the game against Cheryl by buying a bunch of
0: luxuries after I had good cash flow, but I lost the game because against Troy and John, because of the fact that I bought luxuries too soon and I ended up sinking myself, which really you get sunk for two hands really for, with luxuries or maybe more. But for me, that loss of a hand and then the recovery hand to try to get it out of my hand and get, get my bills paid so that I could continue, I think uh, sunk me and made John win the game. But it was interesting. I really liked it. I like the fact that, you know, you think about some luxuries too, and how luxuries do provide opportunity about, you know, whether we want to think this or not. In some roles, I think of like, I've always thought that like for real estate professionals, people are love a nice looking car. If you sell real estate, like for me, I drive a car that costs me next to nothing because nobody's ever going to ride in my car, but me. So why (laughs) spend money on it? But if it's part of my career, Shane, well, then spending money on that luxury of a really nice car to take people around on it, it, says you're quote successful and it can also improve things for you as well. So there's not just the, the upside for you, but luxuries when deployed well, I think can help your career.
2: Yes, I agree. Uh, it all depends on which ones they are, and you have to ask yourself those very difficult questions: and whether they improve, you know, your visibility, uh, what you invest in, and those type of things. Uh, it can work. How many people can play the game? Um, the game is only designed for up to four people. You can play solitaire. We've tried larger games; they just they can be done if you wanted to combine two games together and modify the card draws. But gameplay is just a little too slow. We found people. We, we, we tried it with up to ten players, and. As you, you can imagine how many times we played this game in, in right, test play, right. they say generally it takes about a thousand plays to get the game really, whether it can be broken or not. So we played okay. it an awful lot and we found four to be the optimum. Well, you can feel the love. And I like the fact that number one, it played well with two. And a lot of our
0: listeners only have, you know, them and a friend or them and a spouse. And I thought it plays great with two. We played it with three. That was fantastic. I know we're going to take it to the, the holidays with our extended family. And when we have little groups together playing with four is great. Man, the, the game does not take long. What, what was the average amount of time it takes, you think, to play the game? 40, 45 minutes?
2: Uh, it can be less than that. Uh, you yeah. know, I, m- our group is so good at it. We can do it in about 20 minutes, sure. but you know, that first game, yeah, you know, it takes an hour. And, you know, I've had that probably the most amount of feedback I have from people is it's hard to learn to play, but uh, you know, like anything else, any game, you've got to take a few minutes <laughs> to read the rules and go through it and try to te- play. I put together a video that's on YouTube that, that walks you through it. But if you're willing to invest that few minutes to watch the video or to read the instructions and test play, after one game, you've got it figured out and, and then yeah. you can really start having some fun.
0: And I would think if you've played a game, there's a type of game called Deck Builders. If you played Dominion or Ascension, you mentioned, uh, this game will be second nature to you. It'll have a few yeah. different moving parts, but it'll be second nature. If you haven't, I would strongly encourage you to watch the video because it's going to take something that in the rule book. I think, and the rules are very well laid out, but I think it's going to take this thing that's very foreign and make it much, much easier. So we'll link to the YouTube video on our show notes page. And plus, I think they're shame people can get a feel for it too, you know, as they're deciding if this is the game for them. But I think for money nerds, it's fantastic. I want to read this card because I found this card to be hilarious. I, and I know it's not meant to be hilarious, but it was, it was so great. I actually read this with my friends uh, before we played. Because in the box, you have a declaration by an assembly of friends. When in the course of fun events, fun events, by the way, is in capitals, it becomes necessary for friends in capitals To expand the bonds which have connected them to one another, a decent respect to the opinions of mutual friends requires that they play board games, which impel them to succeed, in caps, in real life, in caps. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all friends have certain unalienable pursuits that among them are health, wealth, and wisdom, that to secure these pursuits, friends play Franklin's fortune, deriving great happiness from the consent to play often." (laughs) I know that every card that you print costs money. Tell me about creating this card and putting
2: that in the game. Well, I have a habit of reciting the declaration of independence every 4th of July. And, uh, you know, from that memory, I just started to think about revising those words and doing a slight parody about Franklin's fortune play and the fun of gameplay and, and the pursuits of health, wealth, and wisdom rather than, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, uh, it was a lot of fun to write it, and even the capital letters are similar to the capital letters yeah. that were used in the printing of the Declaration of Independence. And it turned out that because a certain amount of cards are printed on a on a large paper, there's always a chance to have some extra cards, and they use them for promotional materials or or whatever. So the manufacturer calls me and said, well, it just happened to land on a, on a one, so you have nine cards that you have to come up with. And and we were at production time. I said, I can't come up with like nine different (laughs) ideas on just to have random extra promotional cards. He said, well, a lot of people just print one and they can hand them to their friends. That triggered the idea. I said, all right, I'll do them all the same. Something they can hand out to their friends. Came up with that thing in about a day and (laughs) sent it over to them. (laughs)
0: I love that story. I thought it was brilliant. We'll have a link to Franklin's fortune. I know you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you and I are talking right now about maybe us listing it at stackybenjamins.com. We'll have more for the stacker family on that later. Uh, if we're able to do that, but you can definitely buy this, uh, Amazon and, and on your website, by the way, you can also buy it yes. directly from you.
2: Yes, yeah, so we send it out uh, uh, with uh, free shipping. And the price, also uh, rather appropriate, is $17. So huh. $17.76. So seventeen seventy six. the game will be at your doorstep with no shipping. Just in time
0: for the holidays. And great gift yep. for the money nerds in your family. Shane, thanks for hanging out and talking about my favorite topic, Ben Franklin, with me.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure.
0: We will link to Franklin's Fortune on our show notes page at uh, stackingbenjamins.com. One more thing here for uh, Black Friday before we get into the second half with Jamie Stegmeier. I am pleased to announce that we are changing up the game and we have made our newsletter even better. You know, if you get our newsletter, you know how much joy uh, Brooke and I put into it. This is one of the few money newsletters that you will get that is created by two former financial planners, Brooke Miller and myself. And Brooke takes the bones of what we talk about on the show, and she rounds it out with a ton, not a few, but a ton of different resources and commentary. So even if you missed the episode, well, two things. Number one is if you missed the episode, it doesn't matter. It stands on its own. It's not a guide to the show like we originally had it. It is now a standalone deeper dive. And for that reason, we're also doing a reboot, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. But also, if you do listen to the show, it is going to mirror the show. But it's not the same thing. It's not a one or the other. We tried very much to make it additional ideas that are based on the ideas that we talk about on the podcast, but to also be a completely different resource. So we're super happy. Uh, We also realize that we have so many things around the word stack. And with the new book coming up, Stacked, we now have Stacked, The Stacker, The Stack, which is our live event we do three times a year on YouTube. All these things that refer to stack. This is really, this really isn't that. We need something more descriptive and it's called the 201. And now we're rebranding the 201. And also the 201 comes with a new reward program. So as you make yourself smarter about money, reading the 201, we're going to reward you with swag and opportunities, discounts on courses. We got a big course we're going to launch next June, all kinds of opportunities. But the biggest opportunity is that you're going to make yourself smarter by reading the 201. And so we're super excited about it. Brooke has worked very hard on leading this charge. Uh, Gertrude and I also involved in this planning. And uh, it is truly, the 201 is becoming the center clubhouse of everything that we do. So the way to get it, if you're on the stacker, you're automatically in, you're converted, and you'll start getting it on Monday, as I record this, man, we're hoping for Monday, there's a chance it won't come out Monday because it is coming in hot, but it's coming very, very soon. The 201. And if you want to check it out, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash the 201. Uh, and it's the n- numerals 201 or just put in slash 201. That will also get you there. Super excited about that. All right. For right now, what I'm really excited about is this conversation I'm having with Jamie Stegmeier about board games. Let's do the second half of this conversation, which is games to play with the family over the holidays. What game should you buy this holiday if you're going to buy a board game so you don't waste your money? Jamie's got you covered. Here's me and Jamie back again. You were kind enough to make a second list for us. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people listen to the show, Jamie, different than you and I, they will go to the aisle at target. They'll go to Amazon. They'll go to board game geek. They'll go these different places and they will make a decision once a year on a board game to play with the family. And you and I also know how many times that ends in a sad tragedy where they (laughs) see some fantastic, speaking of artwork, they'll see some fantastic artwork and there's nothing under the hood. The game is absolutely awful. So let's save some people, some money, if we're playing games in the holiday season and we're only buying one, you also made us a top five here of games mm-hmm. you think would be great family games. What's your number five?
1: When well, I picked five slightly different categories here to hopefully mess awesome. with with everyone out there. So cool. the first one, again, I picked a Stillmeyer game. I picked our the 2021 release, Red Rising.
0: I have not um, played this either, and I can't wait. And I'm hearing all kinds of fun stuff about it.
1: I love the game. I helped design it, but yeah, I, I hope you <laughs> yeah, enjoy you're slight, it too. you're slightly
0: biased, but is this is it? It's based on a book, right? They're, the theme is around a book.
1: It is, yeah. And so, if if someone hears about this from this this podcast and doesn't want to play games, I would still recommend the book. It's the Red Rising trilogy. It's a dystopian sci-fi series that I think will someday probably end up being a TV show. The author hasn't told me exactly, but he's hinted at it. But I I love the book series. I fell in love with it and have wanted to design a game in this world for quite some time. And so it's a great book game pairing. You can get it for $40 at Target or Amazon or our website. I have the collector's edition here. If you want like the fancy version, you can get that directly from us. But there's a very affordable version at at Target or or Amazon. So
0: then you found yourself then reaching out to the author and asking Mm -hmm. to license the game?
1: I did. Yeah, yeah. It it was a process of building trust and showing that I really was a, a fan and also a capable publisher and designer but, uh, it took some time, but it worked out. Yeah. That's
0: so yeah. funny. I didn't know any of that. That, that part's gotta be really cool because I mean, number yeah. one, you're working on board games, but then you're also, there's other projects you love in a different arena, like a book and you
1: got to work with them. Yeah. I love brands like star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Those are some yeah. of the big IPs, yeah. but this is right under those for me. I, I really, really love this series.
0: That's fabulous. And tell us a little bit about the mechanics. Why is this a good family game?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, Very easy to set up and play. The the whole idea of the game is that each player is given a random hand of five character cards. And over the course of the game, you are trying to craft that hand. So get rid of some characters, add other characters to your hand so that you have the the best hand of characters uh, that that scores the most points at the end of the game. So that's the entire game. You're just kind of crafting this hand of cards, uh, this hand of characters that hints at the theme of the world, doesn't spoil the books but also is is tied to the themes of the books as as you play.
0: And it sounds like a good family game. Very easy to explain.
1: Very easy to explain.
0: Yes. Our next, I I won't even call these top five because it sounds like these are going to be more of a kaleidoscope, but what's the next one?
1: Yes. Yeah. The the next one, I wanted to put one on here for the pet lovers of the world. I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, but I I always (laughs) post photos of my cats. I love my cats. And so the game is The Isle of Cats. I've never played this game either. Yeah, that's good. this is a uh, people are familiar with Tetris. I'm sure in the game where we call it Polyominoes, but it's a Tetrisy game where you have these cats that are on these weird poses on tiles, and you're trying to fit them into these boats. There's more to the game than that, but that's kind of the jovial fun nature of the game. You have these weirdly shaped cats, and you're trying to fit them perfectly onto your boats to cover up rats and to cover up different sections of the boats. And it's just for. The mechanical complexity of it, it is a little higher in complexity. It is also whimsical and fun and beautiful and, and delightful to play.
0: It's funny you talked about complexity just looking at it. It doesn't look like there would be complexity. What's the what's the minimum age they have on that?
1: They put uh eight plus on here. A+? So I guess that that's indicated there isn't a lot of text in the game, which is true. Yeah, that is
0: awesome. Isle of cats, <laughs> and that's that that game is new to me. I have yeah. never seen that game.
1: Uh, our third one on the list. Third one. So I wanted to pick a game for people who uh, just want to play games with one other person, that their, their partner, their spouse. Maybe there's a they have one kid who's really into gaming. And so I picked a two-player game, Seven Wonders Duel. Have you played Seven Wonders Duel? I have played Seven Wonders Duel, but I've only done it on an online site called Board
0: Game Arena. And I played yeah. it there, and it's phenomenal. Well, Board Game Arena is nice because I don't have to set up all the cards and stuff.
1: Yeah, it definitely speeds up the game a bit. And that's a great place for people to try it if they want to see if it is a good game for them. But my girlfriend and I also just love getting out the real thing when we have the chance and, and dueling with Seven Wonders Duel. It's a game where you're in a slightly abstract way. You're kind of building a civilization. There's just a lot of great mechanisms. There's a tug of war mechanism with military in the game. There are a couple of different ways that you can instantly end the game. So people out there who love like uh, hearts has the shoot your moon aspect to it. There's that aspect in seven wonders duel. And it's just, uh, I, I, I love the game. It's just a really satisfying game to play. It is
0: based on an award-winning game a uh, seven yeah. wonders. I believe one game of the year, the German game of the year award, I think. And, it, and yeah. the thing that I like about duel is that not just that tug of war, but it's also the, there's the card that I want to take. And there's the mm-hmm. card that I don't want you to have. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so, so I'm kind of sometimes not picking the best card for me. I'm making sure I get rid of the best card for you, which I also really very much enjoy.
1: And that's a small box too. I mean, that is not an expensive game. It's a tiny box and it is a dueling game. So it's head to head with someone else, but it's a dueling game where you really feel more like you're building your own thing and trying to make that thing better than the other player, rather than a lot of dueling games where you're maybe trying to attack them. There there isn't a lot of attacking in this game.
0: And now we mentioned Viticulture early. Great with Mm -hmm. uh, Cheryl and I, my spouse and I, we we play Viticulture all the time with just two. And it's a great Mm -hmm. back and forth game with two people. Are there other games that, that are on this list so far that we've already gone over, Jamie, that you think are, decent with two people because I know we have a fair number of uh, listeners that might only have two people a lot of the time.
1: Yeah. I Isle of Cats is delightful at two. Viticulture, as you said, works at two. Someone wonders duel does. I would not recommend QE, the whimsical auction game at yeah, two. It seems I'd like with more
0: people it would be much more fun.
1: Yeah, that plays at three. I love Isle of Sky technically plays at two, but I don't usually play that at two. For sale I wouldn't Red Rising plays great at two. Red Rising, okay. Um, Yeah. And Glenn Moore plays well, at two as well.
0: Yeah. And I learned Glenn Moore with two people and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Next on, uh, fourth already, I think on our list. Fourth.
1: Yeah. So the last two games on my list are cooperative. You know, this term, some of your listeners may not be familiar. So there is, there are lots of competitive games where you alone are trying to win cooperative games. You're trying to win together with the other players.
0: And by the way, while you're grabbing it, that makes games for just for people listening. It's so fun. It's so different because, you know, when I was brought up on games, I was meant that I had to Jamie kick your butt. (laughs) My my goal was, and all of a sudden we're on the same team working together for this end goal. And it, and you get this warm feeling around the table when you're all working together. And it's so fun.
1: I agree. That's why I think it's a good, good holiday picks for these last two that you are, you do that warm feeling of working together to hopefully try to win. And uh, my pick at number two is Mysterium Park. This is a distilled smaller and cheaper, more affordable version of a a now classic game called Mysterium, where one player represents a character who has died and they are trying to give clues to the other players to help guide them kind of in the style of the game clue, but very different mechanically, uh, like to tell them where they died and who committed the murder. And they're using these beautifully and almost eerily illustrated cards to do that. There's no communication. I'm not telling you, Joe, I uh, look at the the red on this card. I'm giving you a card and hoping that you notice the red on that card and that you connect it to something else on the table. And half
0: of the fun of the game. Now, I haven't played Mysterium Park and it looks beautiful. And, and I'm imagining that the artwork you said it's kind of eerie, but I think it's also probably really pretty, I would imagine.
1: It is, yeah.
0: The yeah. Uh, uh, the thing that drives me nuts is when I'm the ghost, like a ghost, you can't communicate, as you mentioned, except through these visions you're giving people they always miss the damn thing on the card that I want them to, to to see. And they always see the wrong stuff that I totally didn't think about. They're like, Oh, it must be this yeah. thing. And you're, and you want to scream at them. No, 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 And you, and you can't, you can't, you can't, <laughs> which by the way, this game, yeah. the fun thing about this game is whether you win or lose too. It, 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 there's this great conversation that's for the next 30 to 40 minutes about all the communication that got missed and what got, it, it's so fun.
1: Yeah. Mysterium park. That's great. I played with my parents last year. I think it came out around Thanksgiving last year. My dad told me the next day he couldn't fall asleep that night because he was thinking about how he wished he could have played a card slightly <laughs> differently. He got really into it. And this version, you've played the original, it sounds like. I there have, There is a yes. game called Mysterium. Yes. Which takes a while to set up. That's kind of the main knock on the game. This I, I, I game think is the, great. I think the up.
0: appropriate word yeah. is it takes forever to set it up. It takes Mysterium. forever to set up. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right. This game is, is completely streamlined setup. Mysterium Park does, makes it much easier to get to the table, even at two players. You enjoy it too.
0: Oh, at two players, you can play. Even at two. Oh, yeah. cool. All right, Jamie. This is a, a super moment, sad moment for me because I love talking board games, but this is our last one. What do we got? Yeah.
1: So, this is a game that won a major German award the same year that Wingspan did, but very different type of game. It is just one. It's the. Party game that I love, like I don't I don't I'm not drawn to many party style games, but it's a fully cooperative party style game where you're trying to get a player, each turn you're trying to get a player to guess a certain word that they can't see. And you have to give them a one-word clue. You write down a one-word clue. But if your one-word clue is the same as anyone else's one-word clue. The person trying to guess the word doesn't get to see those clues. So if the word is pizza, if I'm trying to get you to, I'm describing this. I know you have no other players, but so anyone listening, if I'm trying to get you to guess the word pizza, and I write down um, Italian, but someone else writes down Italian, then they don't even get to see those clues. So I might go with something more eclectic, but still good enough to get that person to guess the clue. It's such a fun, funny game. It's a genuinely a genuine laughter comes out of every time I play this game, and you get to feel clever, and you get that position of trying to guess and also giving the clues. Wait, have you, um, have you played this one? I have played this yeah. and I've
0: yet to play this with somebody that didn't love it. Yeah. That, that did think it was great. You generally get finished with it and they say, let's play again. And because of the fact it's fairly yeah. quick, Jamie, you can oh, yeah. play it several times during the evening. And what I find really funny is when you and I try to make sure that we don't pick that obvious thing. So with, with pizza, we both don't mm-hmm. want to put Italian or we don't want to put pepperoni. Right. So then nobody puts pepperoni. But then you'll have two people at the table that put the same obscure, weird thing that that nobody, nobody thought that's where the, that's where some of the fun comes in. And, and by the way, another small box game and not expensive, like hours of entertainment and not expensive at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Jamie, thanks for spending time with us. By the way, if people want more from you, there's your YouTube channel and I recommend they, they check it out. And and a great thing, Jamie, that I love about your YouTube channel, you don't spend a lot of time talking about Stonemaier games. You certainly do from time to time, but as somebody that just loves the hobby as I think everybody can hear you do these lists all the time uh, of your top five or your top 10 games about
1: X. Yeah. I love, I love talking about games and I love I love tabletop games in general, and I love the the conversations that emerge from them. So yeah, I talked about that on my YouTube channel, and I talk a lot about the things that I've learned about running a business on stonemaiergames.com if people want to check that out as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. and go to stonemaiergames.com, and you'll also see all the love there. Yeah, I really do wish you liked what you did, Jamie. I feel bad you don't. It just seems it doesn't <laughs> ooze that you like it at all. Jamie Stegmaier, thanks for hanging out in the basement with us, talking board games. I appreciate it, and happy holidays to you, my friend.
1: Same to you. Thanks for your time.
0: Well, thank you so much for hanging out on our holiday weekend episode with us, wherever you are. Hope you're having a very safe time. If you're traveling this weekend, a lot of people out there traveling, so be safe on the roads and uh, hope you have a very safe flight if you're flying. That's going to do it for me today from the basement. On Monday, a guy I've wanted to talk to for a long time, Ted Benna is a name you may not know, but I'll tell you, you know what he's done. Ted Benna created the 401k. So, you know how we talked with Robin Wrigglesworth about the creation of the index fund? Two big things the index fund and the 401k probably influence a lot of the way many of you save, definitely influence the way that I save. Ted Benna is not just gonna talk about that, he also is the author of a new book in the Dummy series 401ks and IRAs for Dummies. And we're gonna dive into using your 401k effectively on monday of course that and much more because as you know it's the greatest money show on earth so we have to have a lot of different things again sign up for the 201 com slash 201 thank you everybody for hanging out with us this weekend doug you got it from here man what should we have learned today
3: so what should we have learned today first that even though it's buy nothing day i don't think a lot of people are getting that message but we are Spend today pulling some fun games off the shelves and enjoy your family and friends. Second, learn about money through board games? We prefer to have some fun with games first, but if they help us and those around us get more interested, hey, all the better. But the big lesson... If we ever invite you over for game night, don't get sucked into playing Uno with Joe's mom for money, even if she loses to you the first three games. I'm just saying... She's just sucking you in. She preys on the newbies and you shouldn't fall for it. That's how I got stuck here in the first place. Where did that yellow reverse card even come from? Huge thanks to Jamie Stegmeier from Stonemeyer Games for joining us. You'll find great games like Viticulture, Wingspan, Scythe, and red rising at his website, StonemeyerGames.com, That's stonemeyer spelled S-T-O-N-E-M-A-I-E-R, games.com. We'll also have the full list of games Jamie recommended today on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. A special thank you to Shane Newell for coming to the basement and sharing his fantastic game, Franklin's Fortune. You can check out his game at shane-newell.com. Today's show was written by Paulette Perhatch, who helps writers make sure they have enough dough to shop and invest with her freelance writer coaching. Find out more at thatwriterpaulette.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. Copyright 2021. And is created by Joe Salcija. Our producer is Karen Rapine. After you listen to our show, check out our show notes page and the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 401 about all things money at the 201, our newsletter, at stackingbenjamins.com/slash 201. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer. The amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, Hypestackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and the people responsible for this show have been sacked.
2: You're still here?
1: It's over. Go home. Go. Go.
0: Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother in law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him.